0: Welcome
1: into a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're like me and my team, the offseason is officially here, which means I start putting together what I want my players to work on skill-wise this offseason. As you prepare your workouts and particularly your shooting workouts this offseason, let me encourage you to head over to drdishbasketball.com. I've put together a series of videos of my favorite shooting machine workouts. Whether you're running a small group workout or even a solo workout, There are drills there to help your players improve this offseason. Simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu to start planning your next workout. Welcoming back to the show, ESPN College basketball analyst and Sirius XM radio host, Chris Pitola.
0: Chris, thanks for jumping on the show. Tony, it's my pleasure, man. It's great to be back with you, brother. Is
1: there anything from this first weekend that you would say significantly changes the remainder of the tournament?
0: Um, you know, it's interesting to me, Tony, and this has kind of been a takeaway that I've had throughout the season. Um, and maybe this might be, you know, you would know this as well as anybody. I mean, I think it might even be a, a, a last couple years. years. Um, but when you look at the age composition of, of a lot of these teams, the, the sport is getting older. And I think some of it's a product of the pandemic, the extra year of eligibility um, but I, I think a lot of it is a product of of the reality now in college basketball, which is you can't win young anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, Duke being a, a bit of an outlier uh, left in this tournament with how young they are. But you look at the composition, man. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of these Big 12 teams have had success. It's not just how good that, that league is defensively. And I think some of these teams in the Big 12 have gotten some breathing room in the tournament, not being in league play anymore. But you know, I think you have to be old in this sport, and I, I think the the shift has been ongoing. But I think we're we're in the midst of it now, and I can't tell you the number of coaches I talked to this year who said, "Yeah, you know, we've got a, a couple high school guys, but we have to stop recruiting the high school players because we've got to get some guys out of the portal. We have to get older." And I think um, I think that emphasis is on full display right now with the with a lot of the teams we have left.
1: How much of it at this point of the tournament? is coaching and how much of it is just guys making plays. And that may not sound related, but like guys that are older and comfortable and pressure situations. And I you heard even Coach K talk about it the other night was like the last five minutes. There was he felt like there was nothing coaching our older teams benefiting from that having been there and whatever. And they're able to just make the plays at the end.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you you don't develop a competitive desperation unless you have been through the wars, unless you have some battle scars, unless you, sorry for the military uh, puns and euphemisms there, but um, you you just don't develop that competitive desperation. Um, I use Brady Manic as a great example. I mean, Brady Manic has played like 25 years of college basketball. He's at the end, and he's playing that way. Yeah. You know, he's been fantastic over the last month of the season. Um, So I think there's a psychological element of being old that, you know, there's that refusal to lose. And I think younger teams, they feel like, well, I have next season or I have two more seasons. Like you, I mean, we know, like you, you just don't see the end. Um, The other thing is there's a, there's an IQ that you develop. There's an instinct you develop from a basketball standpoint, particularly on the defensive end that I think older teams have, um, you know, that's why one, older teams are better at man-to-man defense because they've played in it. They know how to speak the language of man-to-man defense and they're instinctive in it. And and so I think that's where age can really, really help you. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why Texas Tech has been the best defense in college basketball all season long. They've got a 24 year old, they have four 23 year olds. They've got like five super seniors. Um, Mark Adams is a great coach, but, but that team, they understand there's a competitive desperation and there's a, an IQ, particularly a defensive IQ, that being old, I think, facilitates.
1: You talked about the Big 12 and you spent a lot of time with them this year. And you have three teams now remaining that are from that conference. Does that kind of confirm, demonstrate the, the, the strength of that conference from this year?
0: Yeah, I think it does. Uh, I am a believer that that we should be driving referendums on conferences based on tournament performance um, because I think we drive referendums on coaches based mm. on tournament performance and teams. So I don't understand why we wouldn't do that collectively. Mm. In the case of the Big 12, 60% of that conference, there's 10 teams in the Big 12, six of them got into the tournament. So 60% of that conference got into the NCAA tournament. I would argue Oklahoma should have been in. I think we're starting to see that now. So that would have been 70% of that conference would have gotten into the NCAA tournament. The performance in the tournament speaks for itself. I mean, go back to the first weekend. And I, I go back to my point about how competitive that that league was defensively. Teams now got out of there. They're, they're playing against defenses that just aren't the same. The the combined margin of victory after week the first round in the tournament for the Big Twelve was 138 points. That league won by an average of 23 points a game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So yeah, I, I think they have made a very loud statement. Um, it's that league is incredibly well coached. Look, I think that league was not officiated overall very well. I think they allowed a lot of stuff to go. I think it was incredibly physical, too physical at times, but you know, I, I think it in some ways it has helped uh that league in this tournament. So it's and it's incredibly old, back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, that that league, you go up and down the rosters like it's incredibly old. So I I think the Big Twelves made a loud statement uh here in this tournament.
1: Uh you were in Greenville this last week. You got to see that version of Duke compare that team versus the one that lost to Virginia Tech in North Carolina.
0: Yeah, you know, I actually think the loss uh, in Cameron against Carolina in Coach K's last game there helped Duke, and it's it's crazy to say that perhaps, but I think it helped them. I think it helped Carolina too, as a, as an aside. But I, I think it helped Duke. A, there's going to be no game that's that's more pressurized than that game was. I, I don't care playing in a tournament, you know. Potentially every game is now Coach potentially Coach K's last game. There is no more pressure that that team is going to feel than they felt in Cameron on that night. Um, and so I think that helps them. And I think we saw that in the Michigan State game. Like that that team, that Duke team has not finished games down the stretch against good teams well for most of the season. Like the one game I can think of is when they played Clemson in Cameron. Clemson, of course, not even a tournament team. But they they finished against Clemson in Cameron. That was really the only game down the stretch this year that they were able to put a team away. They did that against Michigan State. And by the way, that was the best Michigan State has played all season long. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got Michigan State's best shot. They were down five with five minutes left, obviously, and they ended up pulling out that game. Um, you know, I I thought guys, like, took over. Like, Jeremy Roach has been fantastic for them. He's playing his best basketball. His floor game has been, has been terrific. Um, ben Carroll, I thought late game said – I am it was a Darwin moment, like bigger, faster, stronger, Joey Hauser. You can't play with somebody like me. Mark Williams, like I have said all year long, Tony, like I think Duke's ceiling is largely tied to Mark Williams. He's a defit, he's a difference maker on the defensive end with his size, his length, his athleticism. Um, but he's incredibly efficient because of those same physical attributes. He's incredibly efficient on the drop-offs and the lobs and the stuff around the rim. And then if Trevor Keels, you know, he made a big shot. He has not played well. He's been very up and down, uh, but he made a big shot late in that game. So, I look, Texas Tech is going to be a very tough matchup, and I don't know if it's a very good matchup for Duke. Uh, but I think winning a game like that late, I think, gives a team, particularly a young team, a lot of confidence.
1: Uh, you mentioned North Carolina. Bigger story that they were up by 25 and blew the lead. Or the fact that they were up by 25 with a full roster. Right. I think
0: bigger story that uh, that Carolina was up 25 because remember that game turned when Manic left the game, mm-hmm. um, and then ultimately when Caleb Love left the game. And by the way, I mean you know this Tony, teams play a lot better when there's, they have nothing to lose. Yeah. At that point, down 25, Baylor is playing with house money. They got nothing to lose. You're playing free. You know, go out, try to turn the, the other team over. Yeah. Uh, the guy who was going to get 40 in that game before he was ejected was no longer playing. And by the way, Baylor's good, you know, like they're not I don't think they're as good as per, perhaps a one seed. They kind of backdoor to one seed. But I thought the story was Carolina being up up 25. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The remaining double digit seeds are Michigan, St. Peter's, Iowa State and Miami. Obviously, two of those teams are playing each other. But which of those do you feel like has the best chance of moving on to the
0: elite eight? Miami. Um, you, you know the we, the adage that that guards win this time of year. Isaiah Wong is a pro. Uh, he makes pro shots like off of the dribble, you know, step backs off off the bounce to the rim. We saw the dunk. I mean, the athleticism in traffic uh, in, in in their last game against Auburn. I mean, fantastic. Cam Augusti has been a difference maker all year, and then they play such a unique system, Tony. Like they spread all five of those guys out. Sam Wardenberg does a lot of the of the playmaking, the facilitating. They put him at the top of the key, and he's making a lot of passes and handling the ball a lot. Jordan Miller, the transfer from George Mason, uh, has really come on in the second half of ACC play. Uh, he's done a terrific job. So I, I think they're going to have an opportunity to break down Iowa State's defense. I, I think they are absolutely uh, capable of making the Elite Eight. I think, to your question, I think they have the best chance to do that. And It's largely on the backs of their guard play and how unique they are. They can be on the offensive end.
1: How do you feel about Michigan and Villanova? I know a lot of people just with the whole Jawan Howard at the end of the year and Michigan maybe not reaching their full potential, but now starting to blossom. But then you have Villanova, an experienced coach and several experienced players to the point that you made earlier about the older players. How do you feel about that matchup?
0: I like Villanova. I picked Villanova to go to the final four. And and I would make sort of the same point with Villanova that I was with Miami. The ability the ability to improvise. I mean, look, all these teams are good teams at this point. Mm-hmm. And the ability to improvise when the game breaks down is very, very important. The the ability, you know, because teams you you know, Tony, like these games are inherently low possession at this point in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. The the game slows down and games are played in the half court because good teams get back on defense. And, and good teams are going to make you play against them in the half court. So to have a guard like Colin Gillespie, who, who is arguably the best point guard in, in this tournament, and a consummate winner is a force multiplier. Um, they don't have a lot of size. Uh, so how they defend Hunter Dickinson is going to be, a you know, obviously something to keep an eye on. Um, but I trust Villanova against that player. And I trust Villanova against that team. Um, their, their versatility on the defensive end. Um, they're way more physical than I think teams give them credit for. Their lack of depth doesn't bother me this time of year. Uh, these timeouts are so long. I, I think it gives coaches um, the opportunity to shrink their rotations. So you're going to get to play those those front line guys a lot more. And it's and it's look I, we overuse it winning culture, winning DNA, but it matters, man. Like that that esoteric idea that you know a program like that just wins these type of games is a force multiplier. And I think it's very important. Uh, so I, I like Villanova to to win that game. I like Villanova to get to the final four.
1: I, you just hear over and over the theme that you mentioned at the beginning, the older teams and the, it yeah. manifests itself multiple ways to your point, like the culture side of it. They know who they are. There's a there's a like Coach Kate talks about like the, the, the guys have an ego. They know they know where they belong. The Silly thing that we always mock defense wins championships. Like I feel like it does in tournament play because of the number of possessions that you have. And the, the, basically it comes down to just getting stops. And then by, to my original point with the question about like the coaching versus guys, just making plays. I love drawing up the X's and O's. And I know all that I do it because all the coaches love the X's and O's, but I feel like it's just dudes making plays at the end of the game.
0: A hundred percent. That's why you got to have those guys, you know, like, this time of the year to to have that that special guy or that guard who can control the game and the collective you know you look at the last three national champions uh Baylor Virginia and Villanova they were they were a product of the collective now they had their really good players yeah. but they were a product of the entire group and so i think when when you have those teams that have the multiple guys that's the thing i think for duke that is encouraging um again i think it's a very tough matchup against texas tech Uh, i think ironically you know we say that defense wins this time of year because of how good texas tech is on that end i think duke's going to have to have an offensive ego in this game Mm -hmm. but to have multiple guys who who feel good about themselves coming out of that michigan state game i think is important um i the ability to to improvise you make a great point is is so important this time of year
1: The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love huddle assist. With assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and, of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. There are three of your four final four teams remaining. Do you feel anything's changed with that, or you still feel like those three teams will, will make it there?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I love the way Kansas is playing, and I think their path uh, is has probably opened up the most. Uh, they're, they're part of the bracket there. Um, and, and, you know, it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, though, Tony. I, I, I did probably eight Kansas games this year, and, and most of them were without Remy Martin. Mm-hmm. Remy Martin is back. Um, I talked to Bill Self a couple weeks ago before a game I was doing of theirs. I said, What's the ceiling? Where can this team reach its peak? He said, we have to see what happens with Remy. Remy wasn't playing at the time. Remy's been back. Remy's playing well. The question is, what is that? What is the impact that has on Ochai Abaji? This team won this year because of Ochai. Ochai has not been the same in the first two games of this tournament. Uh, His body language has not been the same. Now, I'm not saying it's because of how well Remy's playing, but you know how dynamics can be. So I like them. We talked about Villanova. Um I you know look Kentucky out of that that bracket I I think uh, that was my pick there. Um I I think you'll probably end up having Purdue and Carolina playing for that final last final four spot. I still like Purdue have all year and I still like them to probably win that game. And then Gonzaga, you know it's interesting. I actually people are a little bit worried that Gonzaga has been tested in their first two games, Tony. I actually think it's good for that team yeah. because of the, of the way they had to play in those games. First of all, both games were incredibly physical. And that's the area where where Gonzaga can struggle, physical teams, teams that make them work, particularly around the basket. The other thing is they had to come from behind, obviously, against Memphis. I think that's a good thing. Their best player, to your point about best players this time of year, their best player had to put on a Superman uh, cape and be the best player in the second half, which he was. I think that adversity in this tournament ultimately helps Gonzaga um, and I think they have an offense that could really give that Texas tech defense problems. Uh, so that's kind of where I stand on the final four.
1: What would keep Gonzaga from winning?
0: That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think if, look, we've already seen Duke beat them. And I think one of the things that Duke did in that game is Duke was the better team in the open floor. You go back to that game in Vegas. During ACC play, for whatever reason, Duke got out of transition, you know, It's probably teams, you know, scouting them and coaching them and coaching against them and saying, look, we've got to make Duke a half-court team. Mm -hmm. Um, So the thing that Duke got back to was against Michigan State, and it was an emphasis, was make or miss, they played quick. Like Jeremy Roach got that thing up. And think remember the number of times that they scored, uh, not necessarily a layup in transition, but like early in a possession because of how they pushed it. I think that could give Gonzaga problems. Um, and then in the, in the case of Texas Tech, like Texas Tech wants to bully you. Texas Tech switches one through five. Mm-hmm. I think what's understated about Texas Tech, Tony, is their defensive IQ. It gets back to how old that team is. Like that team, they there is never a doubt about where they're supposed to be relative to the ball. Mm-hmm. They are so aggressive in their help. I think they would give – you know, like a Drew Timmy, real problems. I would be concerned about Chet Holmgren playing against a Texas Tech. Their defensive IQ is off the charts. And Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, that sort of physicality and that ability to really converge on the ball, um, and and you have to make shots. That's the thing about Texas Tech. And and Gonzaga, while they can shoot it, uh, they are not shooting it nearly as well as they did last year. Um, so I, I think both Duke and Texas Tech would pose different problems for Gonzaga, but would pose some issues. And I feel like that's why
1: Memphis kind of got out and gave him a scare. was able to get out and run and also had, I think, uh, Gonzaga struggles a little bit in the games that they have had this year with size a little bit. And mm-hmm. Memphis has that. And obviously Duke has that as well. Uh, I'll get you out on this, but something to watch for this coming weekend.
0: Houston is an interesting mm. case to me because I think in the case of Kelvin Sampson, like, look, they, they made the final four last year. I think this is one of Kelvin Sampson's best coaching jobs. We, we know the story's been told about losing the, the two players, two scorers that they did um, around the turn of the new year. And yet they haven't missed a beat. And the question is why? Well, they do things that I think consistently win games. And they do things that win games in this tournament. First of all, they guard you. And it gets back to that collective IQ. Look, the, in the case of Texas Tech and Houston, there's a want to. Those guys get after it. They play hard. They want to be good defensively. But then there's the IQ, the defensive IQ. Again, it's there's never a question about where they're supposed to be on the floor. They are all acutely aware of what's my responsi- responsibility relative to the ball. That's obviously well coached, but I think it comes with instinct and age. And in the case of Houston, they do that. I mean, they are incredibly well schooled defensively. Look at Go back and look at what they did to Kofi Coburn. I mean, that dude, he was better in the second half, but particularly in the first half, there was no room to breathe. They were incredibly connected in their doubles. That's going to be the question here uh, against Arizona. Arizona is one of the biggest teams in America. They have really good size around the rim. They have really good length. Um, Christian Coloco changes the game, and he did, and Arizona's last matchup against TCU. The other thing that Houston does incredibly well is they offensive rebound. Um, and it's you are what you emphasize, like Kelvin Sampson, every team he's had going back, you know, Oklahoma, Indiana, and and here at Houston, they have all offensive rebounded. Um, and I think it's a force multiplier, like they're going to get after you on the glass. And, and I don't know, certainly in this tournament, I mean, maybe TCU, uh, but they have not played a team that is as well schooled defensively. Um, And TCU was the best offensive rebounding team in the country. And we saw that impact in that game against Arizona. Mm. I think Houston's a problem. I think Houston's going to win this game. And I I think that's an interesting one for folks to keep an eye on. Why? Why does Houston continue to do what they do in this tournament? And what are they going to do? How are they going to play a team that offensively is really, really talented in, in Arizona?
1: Yeah, I don't like to hear that because I picked Arizona, but I feel like I feel like you're right. You know, I mean, you look at like what the four factors are. It's the top two are effective field goal percentage and rebounding. And people want to talk about teams shooting. But on the reverse side of that, it's how well you keep the other team from shooting. That's defense. Yeah. And to your point, I you, when you control the offensive boards and get second possessions and then keep the other team from scoring, I'm with you.
0: Let me ask you a question. Who would you rather have the better defensive team? Just speaking generally in a vacuum or the better offensive team.
1: The offensive coach will always say, "I can find ways and I'll score you." And I, coaches, especially college coaches like myself, we like to control everything, which is why we like the we like the X's and O's. And so, I always feel like I can draw up something that will beat your defense. But the fact of the matter is, to your point, like once we get to the tournament time, the older teams who have bought into defense that is this, that is what separates this late. And so, if I'm talking about like winning late in the year, then I would have to go with the defensive side. Yeah, interesting. I, we did that this year we emphasized offense the entire first half of the year and, and i think it helped us later in the year we spent less time on it but we didn't really start winning games and winning you know we we finished the season really well won a regional championship when we started emphasizing defense and getting the three stops in a row and that kind of thing and it's just what we've been saying i think that late in february and march you win games because of how well guys understand your defensive system. And it helps a lot to have older players.
0: Talking to Chris Beard this year, doing a lot of Texas games. Mm -hmm. Like he had obviously a lot of transfers his first year there. Like he wanted to build it from his defense up. Mm -hmm. And so he spent, you know, the first half of the season. I mean, they spent in practice 80% of the time on defense, you know, 20%, let's say on offense. And I think it hurt them by the end of the season, Tony, like they were not nearly good enough offensively to, to, to win. But that was his choice. Like he wanted, we were going to become good defensively. I want to build my program on the backs of that. And they were elite defensively by the end of the season, but you just didn't have enough time left yeah. in the year to be able to get better on the other end.
1: Yeah. There's no perfect formula. But to your point, like if you're deficient about one, it, it'll rear its ugly head at some point during the year. And if you can't, to our point too, like if you can't get buckets at the end of a game, you're not going to win games either. And, if your offense is struggling, then it's it's going to be a problem in March there. So, how long are you guys going with the Sirius radio show?
0: Yeah, man, we do it every day. So I'm on uh, three to six. Uh, okay. So even through the summer and through football and all that.
1: A Sirius XM channel 371 every day from yeah. three to six. I'm not just saying this to you because you're here. You are the most thoughtful guy on radio, and I, I know coaches if they haven't listen to the radio show before probably after listening to this they'll want to check it out so appreciate you coming on today
0: thanks tony we go way back man i I appreciate appreciate what you're saying and thanks for having me man
1: always great to catch up with you